Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But remember, this is about God's plan for marriage. This is about God's law concerning marriage. The state wasn't involved in it, and them getting involved hasn't helped at all. It hasn't increased the potential for marriages to work. And then the, the, the law being involved, I mean, our governmental law being involved in any of it has actually muddied the waters for many. Today, as we move into Mark chapter 10, we have part one of Pastor Sam's message, Husbands, Wives, and Children. Now, this is definitely a loaded topic, and in part one, before we even get into Jesus' take on divorce, we look at why the scribes even asked Jesus about it in the first place. So let's listen in. Mark chapter 10, we're looking at the first 16 verses this morning, title of our study, Husbands, Wives, and Children. We read here in Mark 10, 1, Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter in. And he took them up in his arms laid his hands on them and blessed them. Lord, give us insight and understanding today. We live at a time where, well, things are so upside down and backwards, where truly evil is substituted for good and light is called darkness. Everything that Isaiah warned would someday happen is happening. Your institutions, marriage, family, even government, Lord, all corrupted, all distorted, all defiled. And we pray that we would be a part of the solution, not just condemning people who don't get it, but living as you intended, Lord, before their very eyes. 
open ours today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we begin here with a question about divorce. There's a note on motivation and then, well, three issues arise immediately. We read it in chapter 10, verse 1. We'll read it one more time. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. Three things strike me, and we're going to look at them. First, the geography. It's actually important here. Second, their insincerity. And thirdly, Jesus' clarity. First of all, the geography. It's noteworthy that he points out this confrontation takes place in Judea. Now, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, others, they traveled north to confront him there on the Galilee, and he dealt with some of those issues. We looked at them in the past, but now he's moved back to the territory, to the region of Herod. This is important. We read, if you were reading the other gospel accounts, it becomes even clearer. But, but as they were moving toward Jerusalem, the disciples were, well, they were fearing. Why? Because there were threats on Jesus' life. The government, Herod was after him, or the, uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, they were after him. In fact, the only people that were really flocking to Jesus were the masses of well, common people who were told heard him gladly and followed him. Well, so this takes us back to the region as he returns to the region of Herod. Now, Herod had been told by John the Baptist it's interesting, too, because it, it, it directly relates to the subject at hand. He rebuked Herod. He called him to repentance, saying, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had left her husband. She'd shacked up with Herod. They'd gotten married. And, uh, of course, you know, there was no grounds for divorce or legal reason for such a thing. Not in their situation. So, so we know Herod was hostile to this particular teaching. And I think it's, it's important to see it in that context because John lost, well, first his freedom. He was arrested, incarcerated, and ultimately beheaded for doing what? Saying it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And that, that, you know, brings us to the second thing, their insincerity. The Pharisees came and asked him in verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? The word testing actually is the same word that's used for Satan tempting Jesus. What was the purpose of the temptation? To try to trip him up, get him to fall, get him to fail? And that's exactly what they're trying to do here. And they, they, they could be operating on more than these two, but at least these two things had to be in their minds. If we can get him to do what John did, maybe Herod will do, well, what he did to John. 
You see, their goal was to take Jesus out. They didn't come with the question, uh, you know, is this lawful? Because they had any actual concern about if it was lawful. By the way, we'll talk about this a little further in. They all knew it was lawful to divorce. The only question was under what circumstances. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? We'll come back to it, but, but back, basically that's what's taking place here. Well, this idea that, that, well, you could pit him against Herod, that would be bad for Jesus, at least in their eyes, as they try to trap him, to ensnare him, to trip him up. And the other thing is they were hoping, if not that, perhaps they could pit him against Moses. Because if he were to say something different than Moses said, well, then that could be a real problem as far as his relationship with the people because they knew God gave Moses the law. Here's the interesting thing. They tried this before. They'll try things like this again. They brought a woman they say was caught in the very act of adultery. It's one of the most troubling passages in Scripture because they say she was caught. And, and I'd be like, well, where's the guy? Because adultery in that society in, under Jewish law was punishable by stoning. It was no small thing. No one would call adultery one of those things or a fling or an affair. No, it was a capital crime. And, and so they bring the woman. They say, we caught her in the very act. Jesus doesn't even ask what I wanted to know. Where's the guy? Maybe he was standing right there with them. And by the way, if you brought someone and accused them falsely, then the punishment that you were trying to extract on them would be extracted on you. So the, the one who made the charge was, had to be willing to cast the first stone. That's why Jesus begins to say, let, those, let the one among you without sin cast the first stone. If you haven't done it, well, then you may be qualified to stoner. And from the eldest to the youngest, they began to drift away. Now, there's more to the story. But, but for our purposes, it's important to see that, that Jesus didn't, well, he didn't let them mess with him. But he also used every opportunity to instruct them and to demonstrate to them. So, so what's going on there is just as they had with the woman they brought and said was caught in adultery, they're saying, Moses says, stone her. What do you say? What does he say? Let the one without sin cast the first stone. The only one there who could have done that would have been Jesus. And he didn't come to destroy but to save. He didn't come to condemn because we were already condemned. He came to save us from ourselves and save us from our sin. So they're actually manufacturing a crisis, if you will. And, and that's the second issue. First, geography, where they were and why that put him in danger. Second, their insincerity in testing him, hoping that this could cause him problems. Now, Jesus never broke the law. He never changed the law. He kept it. He fulfilled it. 
And he clarified it. How so? He'd say things like, you have heard it has been said, but I say unto you. Well, that brings us to the third issue, and that's Jesus' clarity. Perhaps the most important for us today. Jesus never let his foes or his circumstances set his agenda. He doesn't respond to them in kind. You know, when tempted by Satan, three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Most of the scriptures we'll refer back to today come from the book of Deuteronomy. But, but he says, it is written, and it is written, and it is written again. Why? Because the written word, the law that they were supposedly concerned about, it told them exactly what they needed to know. So he goes right to the core issue. Not if Moses' law allowed divorce, because everyone knew it was lawful. So the only real debate was under what circumstances, for what reason, or for what reasons. Now, God's law was clear. It's Deuteronomy chapter 24. Listen to it. And I wish we had time today to unpack the whole thing. We should do an in-depth study in this particular uh, passage and on this particular theme at some point. But there are some things here. I'll just read them to you. We're only going to deal with the first and most important issue as it relates to our passage. But I want to say, when you actually read it and you see what he says after, you're like, wait a minute, I, I never heard that or I would have never thought that. I, that isn't what people say. Well, Deuteronomy 24, you can turn there if you'd like. Not hard to find, fifth book of the Old Testament. They're fat books. So Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that he finds no, she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. When she's departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. It's odd because every conversation I've heard, every book I've read, they focus on is divorce and remarriage uh, allowable or under what circumstances? Some say not at all. Some say under any circumstances. There are many in between. But it's interesting here because he doesn't, the, the law doesn't say she can't be married to that second person. He sets her aside. He puts her off. He divorces her and she marries another. If that one lets her go or dies, you can't Go back, he's saying, to the first, because that just adds a, another layer of uncleanness, of uh, defiledness. Well, there are two schools of thought, as you would expect at least, prevailing in that day, and they, they, they both formed around the word uncleanness. The word uncleanness literally in the Hebrew was immoral or indecent 
behavior. The conservative view saw uncleanness, immoral, indecent behavior as adultery. And so um, for the conservatives, uncleanness meant adultery. By the way, that would have been Jesus' view of this, but he never says, well, let's actually debate the issue or let's get into it. He actually takes them further and deeper into to really what God wants all of us to know. <coughs> the liberal view interpreted uncleanness, listen, to mean anything she did or didn't do that displeased you. I think in California today, they call that irreconcilable differences. It's like, whatever you don't like, well, that works for the state. But remember, this is about God's plan for marriage. This is about God's law concerning marriage. The state wasn't involved in it, and them getting involved hasn't helped at all. It hasn't increased the potential for marriages to work. And then the, the, the law being involved, I mean, our governmental law being involved in any of it has actually muddied the waters for many. So in any case, uh, he answers them. Oh, and I do want to say few of us, if any, would be shocked to find out the liberal view was very popular in that day, just as it is today. There were far fewer that said, well, well, no, we, we said forever for the rest of our lives and, and we're gonna do that. The only thing that broke the marriage bond was infidelity sexually. And, uh, and there are many places in the New Testament where we see that confirmed. We never have a confirmation that if she bothers you or bugs you or you don't like the way she does this or that, well, you know, most important thing is that you're happy. Do you, know, do you know the Bible doesn't ever say God wants us to be happy? He does tell us how to be happy, but, but God wants us to be holy. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could be happy. And when you marry someone, if you marry them with the thought, she's going to make me happy. Well, she might sometime and sometime not so much. But that's not really why you marry. You're supposed to marry so you can be a blessing to her. So you can, can, can shower her with love and affection and attention and everything that will make her secure. If you want to be happy, by the way, because I mentioned God didn't die to make us happy. He didn't have to. He says, though, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So if you want to be a happy person, know what the Bible says and do what the Bible says and you'll find what God defines as happiness. Well, in any case, he answers them, verse three, and says, what did Moses command you? It's back to their, their question and it's again important. The Pharisees ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing, tempting, trying to ensnare or trap him. He answers, what did Moses' law command you? By the way, when we talk about Moses' law, and then we look at the laws of men, Moses' law was perfect. We just looked at it in Psalm 19 this last Wednesday night. 
It says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork. And the, the first section of Psalm 19 talks about the witness of creation to God's existence and creative power. And, and, then, and then it goes to the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And, and, and so it talks about the second witness, the, the law of God. And it says God's law is perfect. So, so there's no question that, that God's law, if they understood it and responded in appropriately to it, would have been very useful to them. So he says, well, what does Moses command you? They ask, is it lawful? He says, well, what does the law say? I love that. He's giving them a chance to say what they know about the area they are ex experts in. And then he's going to reveal that they're missing a couple things. You know, you can memorize laws. My younger grandson is an excellent reader. He just turned nine. And, but I do know that, that reading well and reading with comprehension are two different things. And so he can read perfectly, but then if I question him on what he read, he doesn't always even remember or understand it. That's really what was going on with these guys, but they had no excuse. They were adults. They were scholars. They were the ones who knew and apparently thought they were, you know, and not just embracing, but defending God's law and such. Well, they said Moses permitted. That's a very important word in this conversation. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. That word's the key, you see, permitted, because it reminds us God allows many things that he never desired to see happen. He called some sin. I know that divorce is sin. I know some of you have been divorced. And I want to say when I was a young pastor and knew everything, I always assume that, that there's always two guilty parties. Well, it might be 90, 10 or whatever. But now that I've pastored for over 35 years, I know that I don't know everything. It's sort of like the teen years, the early pastoral years, you know. And I, I saw a sign and it said, teens, you know, move out. Enjoy life while you still know everything. And uh, so, so here, here's what I'm saying. I do believe it's possible, and I do believe it happens, where there's an actual guilty and innocent party in a divorce, where one absolutely doesn't want it and isn't doing anything to help it happen. And the other has just set, and often it's the guy, but not always, set his heart on someone else or something else. Those vows he made, no longer the issue. The, 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 the relationship with the Lord, well, you know, there are a lot of Christians who've been divorced and they're still happy. Yeah, maybe they are. But that doesn't answer the question, is this the will of God? In Malachi, God says he hates divorce. I've noticed he never says he hates anything good. He only hates things that are sin. Why? Because sin hurts people. It brings shame and suffering and pain and sorrow. And in this context, he says he hates divorce because it, it leads to all sorts of suffering. And more often than not, 
The greatest suffering isn't between the two, it's those children. I will not comment on anyone else's marriage other than my own, but when the subject of divorce comes up in my studies, I seem to have the same thoughts about it. In our passages today, we read, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. God is the centerpiece of my marriage, and as long as both my wife and I keep him there, the possibility of divorce simply does not exist. I must put my faith in God's ability to keep together what he joined together. And since I know it's not God's will that we would ever divorce, I can trust it is his will for us to treat each other the way he's asked us to do. So I trust he will help us with that and give us the strength and wisdom to do so. But I also know from time to time I am going to sin against my wife and she's going to sin against me. And once again, I can trust it's God's will that we would forgive each other in those times. So I trust he will help us do that and give us the strength and wisdom to do so. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.